Welcome to SMT Pod, the premier audio publication of the Society for Music Theory. This episode, introducing a new podcast by Joe Strauss, is a deep dive into the opening measures of Stravinsky's ballet Petrushka, a close analysis to hear what makes this music tick. Hello, my name is Joseph Strauss, and I've been studying, teaching, and writing about Stravinsky's music for more than 40 years. Welcome to my podcast, Analyzing Stravinsky. In each of the 20 episodes, we will listen closely to a passage of music by Stravinsky, from Petrushka, composed in 1911, to the Requiem Canticles from 1966. We will burrow deep inside the music to figure out what makes it tick and what makes it so wonderful. Coming a year after The Firebird, the ballet Petrushka was Stravinsky's second big hit for Diaghilev's Ballet Russe. But while Petrushka is, like The Firebird, in its immersion in Russian folkloric traditions, the Parisian audience loved that sort of exotic Eastern stuff. Petrushka also marks a significant stylistic evolution for Stravinsky. Indeed, it's really Stravinsky's first modernist work, and the first work where we can fully hear the distinctive individual voice of the composer. We'll listen to the first minute or so of Petrushka, and I'll call out the blocks as they go by. Just to set the scene, the opening music of Petrushka depicts a swirling, colorful crowd at a country fair. The crowd is celebrating Shrovetide, which is the Russian carnival before Lent. Swirling, oscillating harmony with a flute melody on top. The harmony continues with a new melody high in the cellos. Flute melody continues. Melody in the bass later associated with drunken revelers. Flute melody returns. Cello melody returns. Drunken revelers melody. A new melody on top. Drunken revelers melody drops out. building to a climax. Drunken Revelers Melody takes over and the curtain goes up. Block one has a rapidly oscillating harmony played by clarinets and French horns with a melody high above in the flute. The harmony consists of four notes, a perfect fifth filled in with major seconds, and the harmony oscillates. The melody consists of the same four notes, 
but now the notes are played one at a time and separated by leaps. The rhythm is hard to grasp in any simple, straightforward way. That's because these recurring figures happen at irregular, unpredictable times. This sort of rhythmic irregularity and ambiguity it's hard to predict where the next downbeat will fall, is typical of Stravinsky. In block two, the same harmony and melody continue, only now they are joined by a new melody. Here's the first block with the flute melody on top. Second block with the new melody and the cellos. The cellos drop out and the flute continues. third block begins. The new melody consists of just four notes played repetitively, mostly stepwise descending. The four melody notes have a particular arrangement, tone, semitone, tone. We'll call this a Dorian tetrachord, and it is the basis for an astonishing number of Stravinsky's melodies, both in Petrushka and in other works. The melody clashes with the harmony. In older music, including Stravinsky's own older music, the melody and the harmony are mostly consonant with each other. They mutually support each other. But here, the melody and the harmony don't quite belong together. Here are the harmony notes. And here's how the melody would sound if it fit directly with the harmony. But Stravinsky shifts the melody one step too high, and here's how it sounds. That divergence of melody and harmony is typical of Stravinsky, and it's what gives this music its distinctive sound. Like the first melody, this new melody is hard to pin down rhythmically. Take the triplet figure, for example. It punctuates the melody in irregular, unpredictable ways. It's hard to tell which beats are upbeats and which are downbeats. Stravinsky never lets you get comfortable rhythmically. Your rhythmic expectations are constantly being subverted. In block three, the oscillating harmony continues, now slightly thickened, and we get another new melody. This melody turns out to be associated with a group of drunken revelers. We hear their drunken melody in the bass. Like the melody from block two, the drunken reveler's melody lies within a Dorian tetrachord, but at a different pitch level. Here's the cello melody from block two and the tetrachord it lies within. 
and here's the drunken reveler's melody and the tetrachord it lies within. One additional thing the cello melody and the drunken reveler's melody have in common, they both diverge from the prevailing harmony. Here again is the melody from block two heard against the prevailing harmony. The harmony is on D, the melody moves between E and B. There's the harmony again, and here's the drunken reveler's melody. Now the melody is a step too low compared to the harmony. Blocks four and five basically repeat the music from blocks one and two. The repetition enhances our sense of the separability and individuality of these blocks. They can be spliced in, and the splicing will be audible. End of block two, the drunken reveler's melody in block three. The flute melody returns as in the opening. The cello melody returns while the flute and swirly accompaniment continue. That brings us to blocks six and seven, where three things are going on. The expanded oscillating harmony, the drunken reveler's melody extended in the bass, and a new melody on top. Drunken reveler's melody in the bass. A new melody joins high above in flutes and oboes. Drunken reveler's melody drops out. The new melody continues in flutes and oboes and trumpet. The drunken reveler's melody is in the lower strings, basses, and cellos, and it's extended. As we noted previously, this melody uses four notes arranged as a Dorian tetrachord. And here's the tetrachord. When the melody is extended, sometimes one additional note is added as a lower neighbor. So there's a lower neighbor to the tetrachord. The melody is thickened, weighted down with parallel motion in thirds and octaves. This sort of parallelism is called planing, and because the smaller interval is down in the bass, the planing produces a sort of lumbering, elephantine effect. These drunks are stumbling around. High above, in flutes and oboes, there is a new melody that seems at first to contrast maximally with the drunken reveler's melody in the bass. Instead of low and plodding, it is high and rapid, light and fleeting. Like the bass melody, it moves within a very small range. It turns out that these two contrasting melodies have something very much in common. In fact, they are basically the same melody within the same pitch space. The lumbering bass melody moves between G and C. 
and so does the light fleeting melody. I take them as two different aspects of these drunken characters. Their bodies are stumbling around, but their minds and their attention are wandering rapidly all over the place. Here are blocks six and seven again. Listen for the contrast and similarity between the low melody and the high melody. In block seven, the low melody drops out while the high melody continues. In block eight, the drunken reveler's tune takes over entirely. In the original choreography for the ballet by Michael Fokin, this is the moment when the curtain goes up. Everything we have heard so far was just an instrumental prelude to set the scene. Although we have already gotten hints of their music, this is the moment when, according to the instructions in the score, a group of drunken revelers passes dancing. Stravinsky also weights the melody down with planing. Previously, the melody was accompanied in parallel thirds. Now it is accompanied by complete major or minor triads. And there is more. In addition to this main melody with its planing accompaniment, Stravinsky adds a different melody with its own planing accompaniment. Here is that other melody. It moves repetitively within a narrow span, just like the drunk reveler's melody. And here it is with its own parallel planing triads. When you put together the two melodies, each with its own suite of following triads, you get a marvelous cacophony. Here's the whole passage ending with this celebratory outburst. Thank you. 
My warm gratitude to my peer reviewer, Lynn Rogers, and my old friend and comrade in arms for her incisive comments. Also to Matt Sandow and Inez Thibault, who engineered and produced this podcast. And also to the wonderful folks at SMT Pod, especially Jenny Beavers, Megan Lyons, and Katrina Rausch. This episode was the first of Joe's new podcast, Analyzing Stravinsky. You can find more episodes by searching for Analyzing Stravinsky on Spotify Podcasts, or find a link to them in the show notes. Visit our website, smt-pod.org, to learn how to submit an episode proposal. And join in the conversation by tweeting us your questions and comments at smt underscore pod. SMT Pod's theme music was written by Zheng Chen Liu, with closing music by David Voss. Thanks for listening.